The following message is from the Church at Greer Station. For more information, visit tcgreerstation.com. Well, good evening. So glad that you guys are here gathering with TCGS. My name is Aaron Markham. I am one of the pastors here at the church. We are in Acts chapter 4. We've been studying through the book of Acts for a couple of months now. And I want you to think about two different things as we begin our time. Now, these two things, they're pretty different. I'm going to have to come back and connect them. But two things. The first one is I would love for you to think about the greatest goal that you have in life. So not not the goal that you've got for a month or two months from now. If you were to give yourself one goal for all of life, what would it be? Think on that. For me, I, I tried to summarize briefly. I said, seeing people raised up to know God, know his word, and love him. That would be the goal that I would be running after each and every day to the best of my abilities. So the greatest goal in life, the second thing I want you to think about is the most difficult day or season of life that you've been through. This might be a death, this might be a loss of a relationship, it might be a physical pain, it might be a loss of a house or a job, it may be moving away from friends and family that you love dearly, Maybe it's hoping to be a spouse. Maybe it's hoping to be a parent. Maybe it's hoping to find a job or finally get a house or finally settle down or whatever it is. What's the greatest goal in life for you? And what's been the most difficult day or season of life? Now, this example I'm about to say is totally trivial. It does not fit the second category, most difficult day or season of my life, but I think it will picture it, and I think it will help the illustration. So I just chose the hardest day for my, uh, this past week, and the hardest day for us was Tuesday night going into Wednesday. Uh, we had our dinner group set up for Tuesday night. The Stubelts and the Fergusons were coming to hang out, and we were super excited. I got home from work. We're starting to get food and stuff cleaned up, and I walk outside, and I don't hear a noise, and the noise I don't hear is from our HVAC unit, and our HVAC unit is so loud, like you can hear it a mile away. Um, and it's, it's, I'm, I'm hearing maybe like a little buzz, but the fan is not spinning and making all the noise. And I walk back inside and I'm seeing that the temperature's starting, starting to creep up a little bit. And you know, these days are like the hottest days in the world. And so, you know, we, we figure out that the fan's not working. I text our dinner group. I say, if you guys still want to come, we're, we're on. It's like 73, 74 in here. I'm sure it'll creep up as the, as the day goes along. Day goes, night goes along. We put the kids to, to bed. We went and bought some fans at Target, pointed, them, pointed two or three fans straight on each kid so that they, hopefully they would uh, sleep well. We're Googling, can a nine-month-old sleep in 83-degree temperatures? Like, is that okay? I'm assuming it's okay, but, you know, we're, we're trying to check that. You know, I'm starting to have these ideas of cost that are going to be coming. Super ironically, a week, literally a week to the day before that, I had started thinking, oh, we had some problems with the HVAC right before we moved in, or the, the previous owner, I should start to get some quotes for new HVAC units, just in case, I need to start putting some money aside. Literally had two guys come out and give me a quote earlier in the week, and then Wednesday, the actual HVAC goes out. This was to, for me to prepare for something bad to come, but now I know the costs might be very high, 
And then Wednesday is going to be the hottest day of the year. It's going to be 99 degrees. It's going to be like 105 with heat index. I'm going to go to work, presumably, and I'm going to leave Casey and these two kids at home. Kind of what are we going to do? Now, a quick aside is I just want to articulate how well we were cared for in a 24-hour span. We were offered window units, portable ACs. We were offered houses of people who were in the hospital to go stay at. We were offered houses of people who were about to go to the hospital to deliver a baby for us to go stay at. We were offered so many different things, and we were so well cared for. And for that, I just want to say thank you. And thank you for being the body of Christ to my own family. Thankfully, we got it fixed on Wednesday, kind of right before the worship night. I came in kind of on two wheels, uh, and, but we had gotten the, the HVAC working, and so it slowly cooled off. So you're thinking about your main goal in life and the most difficult day or season. It's probably not when the HVAC went out. It's probably not the most difficult thing. It's not been the most difficult thing for Casey and me. We've had plenty of struggles and dating fertility struggles. In Kenya, we experienced some hard days when we lived there. We've experienced deaths of loved ones and close friends. But it was hard, and it works for the point I'm trying to make. On the hardest of days, I find it extremely difficult to stay focused on my main goal. I don't know if you've ever had that, just the tough days, whatever is tough for you. It's hard to stay focused on my main goal. And really my main goal in life is to pastor well. And I'll say Wednesday and Thursday were probably not my best days of pastoring. I know I have to preach tonight and I'm like wrestling. I was like, Wednesday is my sermon prep day. And it's like, it's gone. It's gone with calling 20 different HVAC units and trying to get Casey situated and just trying to get everything organized with the worship night. And so much of this week, I just kind of wanted to get home, you know, eat a cookie, watch a movie, kind of just take it easy. And life was kind of presenting itself to be a little bit tough and a little bit abnormal. And in many ways, we can kind of give up or deviate from our greatest goals in the most difficult season of life. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have just gone through a difficult arrest and a hearing before Jewish leaders Due to the healing of the lame man that I preached on a few weeks ago, and due to their preaching that Mikey preached on, that concluded in in Acts 4 with a strong warning for them not to preach or heal in the name of Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 18. They were threatened, and then they were let go. Verse 21. And you would think they might be tempted to go home, to kind of take it easy, to lay low, to get a good meal, to find some reprieve, to find some relief from the persecution, from the trials that they've faced, all because of their belief in Jesus, the thing that they are giving their life to. Their greatest goal has been to make Jesus known. But that's not what happens. They don't go searching for relief. What do they do? Verse 23. When they were released... We're going to kind of get three R's in, chapter, in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends. So they returned to their friends. These believers, there are now 5,000 of them. They're the apostles and these 5,000 believers. And reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they return. They tell them all that has taken place. And then how do they respond how does everyone respond to this persecution? 
Verse 24 is going to show us that they lift their voices to God in prayer. Verses 24 through 30, I kind of coined this the believer's prayer. I know we probably taught, you've maybe heard conversations about a sinner's prayer. I think we see here a believer's prayer, a corporate group of believers gathering together in prayer. Now, I'm not sure if it's going to be one person that's voicing the prayer on behalf of everybody or if somehow through the Spirit they're all saying the same thing. It's not super clear from the text, but it's super clear that they're united and they're praying to God. And so we have opportunity tonight to learn from the prayers of these early believers. Let's read verses 24 through 28, and we're going to see the beginning of this prayer consists of praise for God. Praise for God. And, what, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place." So the initial response of the people is to praise God. They're not asking for anything, but they're praising God for who he is. Now they're not telling him anything he doesn't know about himself. God knows that he's creator, but they are rehearsing what is true back to him. They are proclaiming what is true. And this is going to be helpful for us in thinking about our own prayers. They proclaim sovereign Lord. Now, this is not the same in all translations. I know some of you guys, we were, I'm reading from the ESV, you might have different translations out there. The sovereign Lord means Lord or master or king. It carries a strong connotation of an authority figure who exercises complete jurisdiction and wields unrestricted power. The one they are praising has total control, no limitations, no restrictions. They are worshiping the one who possesses supreme and ultimate authority, who ultimately made everything, the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them. There is nothing else we could even talk about. That covers everything. This God, abundantly gracious, personal, merciful, has all power and all authority creating the universe, and yet he totally cares about each of these individuals and each of these individuals out here. If you struggle to pray or walk closely with him, you can start your prayers here. Praise him as the sovereign Lord who is in control. Extol him as the creator. Go to some of the Psalms who just praise God. It sets our prayers up so well. The language used in verse 24 fills the pages of the scripture. These should be uh, a few examples on the screen. God made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. This is constant in the Old Testament. Exodus 20, verse 11. In the Ten Commandments, in the part on the Sabbath, it proclaims that God is the maker of heaven, earth, sea, and all that is in them. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. Israel is going to join together to confess their sin which is pretty indicative of tonight. They're going to they're gonna praise God and then they're going to petition and ask him for something. In Nehemiah 9, they're going to confess sin. 
But before they start confessing sin, they start by praising God as the one who made and watches over everything. Psalm 146, Isaiah 42 are very similar, and we're going to get pretty much the exact same uh, language in Acts 14 and Acts 17. Verse 24 sets the framework for the rest of what is going to be prayed. Verses 25 and 26, the sovereign Lord has spoken through broken men like David. Scripture is wholly, fully, truly the word of God. This is where we can know God. The Spirit, throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, has worked through sinful humans to give us God's word. The believers in Acts chapter 2 quote Psalm, or in Acts chapter 4, quote Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, treating it in what we would call a messianic prophecy. Something that's written about the Messiah, about Jesus, but before his birth, and then it comes to be fulfilled. And all of this is inspired by the Spirit. And in, the, in, these, in this quote of Psalm 2, there's four groups of people that are mentioned, all who were against Jesus, the one who is God's anointed at the end of verse 26. Verse 27 is going to kind of help us to know who each of these four categories are. So there's the Gentiles or the nations that rage. And in verse 27, Gentiles is mentioned again. These are the nations. These are the Romans and other people who put Jesus on the cross. They have raged against Christ. Verse 25, the people's plot in vain. In verse 27, the end of verse 27, it says the peoples of Israel. Israel and their religious leaders have plotted against Jesus and had him crucified, but their plotting was in vain because it actually fulfills the sovereign plan of our God. The kings and the rulers that are mentioned. We see Herod and Pontius Pilate talked about in verse 27. These are governmental officials who were against Jesus. So the Gentiles, Israel, rulers and authorities, they're all against Jesus. Essentially everyone was gathered against Jesus. And even at Jesus' crucifixion, his own disciples desert him. So all of these negative things took place, not simply from a human perspective, but verse 28 shows us that they were doing all of this God's hand was in all of this. God's plan was sovereignly fulfilled. He had predestined this to take place. And we see, we've seen similar language before. These two verses should be on the screen in, in the two chapters prior. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus carried out God's appointed plan in his crucifixion. Acts chapter 3, verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, these messianic prophecies, he thus fulfilled. Jesus suffered, fulfilling what God had spoken thousands of years prior, or a thousand years prior, 500,000 years prior. God had planned these things. And we get the language in verse 28 of predestination. This word is used six times in the New Testament. Romans chapter 8, 1 Corinthians 2, Ephesians 1, 
means to, to foreordain or predetermine or mark out beforehand. God is in control. Nothing is outside of his purview. In our statement of faith, number six, on providence, this should also be on the screen, we say from eternity, God decrees or permits all things that come to pass, and he perpetually upholds, directs, and governs all creatures and all events. Even so, his sovereign governance does not in any way make him to be the author or approver of sin, nor does his sovereignty destroy the free agency and responsibility of human beings. We worship a God who is totally in control. Sinful humans make choices. All of us make choices, both good and bad. But God is working for our good and for his glory. An illustration that Trevor and I will will often use in in discovering TCGS is, is kind of thinking about an author and then the people in the story. So who killed Cedric Diggory? Harry Potter number four. Was it Voldemort or was it J.K. Rowling? Who killed Cedric Diggory? Another kind of example that is even a little bit more complicated in thinking specifically about Christ, who chose for Aslan to sacrifice himself? Did Aslan choose or was it C.S. Lewis? It's like in many ways, it's both and. God is not a distant or ruthless dictator. He is a gracious heavenly father who so loves us and works in the midst of our choices. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, while we were still sinners, while we are sinning, ongoing, Christ died for us. And that was God's sovereign plan and his guiding hand led to essentially all people everywhere for all of time being against his son, Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. And this includes God's very own chosen people, Israel, and Jesus' very own disciples. Now, in the most difficult of circumstances, deaths, struggles, abortions, the Lord is working for our good and for his glory. He is not leaving us nor forsaking us. We live by faith and not by sight. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 makes this clear. Nothing will separate us from Christ. And in Acts chapter 4, the whatever that Luke uses here, all persecution, all rejection, false accusation, miscarriages of justice, wrongful beatings, mockery, and even crucifixion, all that was poured out on Jesus was part of God's plan to redeem a people to himself. It was part of his plan to redeem you to himself. And yet humans are responsible for their sinful, evil deeds. Chapter 3, verses 13 through 15 makes it clear. We all killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. I killed Jesus. In the midst of the hardships that we go through day to day, We shouldn't shrink away from God, but we should go towards him because he has experienced the greatest of sufferings in the person and work of Christ. There is a paradox of human freedom and divine responsibility. Despite humanity doing its best to thwart God's plans, God's purposes prevail. 
even in the greatest of hardships. We think about Christ's death, one of the darkest days. We think about John and Peter in Acts 4 being arrested and tried. And yet all of that was done in many ways so that 2,000 years later, thousands of miles away, we're sitting in a gym at 5 p.m. on a Sunday night talking about this story. I mean, it is mind-boggling how amazing our God is. He is writing a wonderful, true story. And I pray that you would be able to stand in awe and worship him. So the beginning of the believer's prayer is filled with praise of who God is and how he has been orchestrating events. And so we get a turn in verse 29 from praise to petition. Verse 29 and 30, we're going to read that. That concludes the prayer. And then verse 31 kind of concludes the the whole event. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Petition. This is what we see in verses 29 and 30. Petition is is people making a request of some sort to an authority figure about something in particular. The people. There's 5,000 believers together asking the Lord, the authority, the one that is over them, to see the threats of the religious leaders, and they make a request. And their request, I mean, maybe you've read this passage before and you you kind of get it, but it's mind-boggling. Grant to your servants, your very slaves, the ability to speak with all boldness. With all boldness. You would think that they would ask for things to calm and ease for relief, They do not. They ask for more of the same. I'm not asking for more of the same when when the HVAC goes out. And I'm just being challenged in my heart. I'm asking for, for less of that. These guys are asking for boldness and miraculous signs. Their concern is for God's word to go forward and for Christ to be glorified. They pray for their very own faithfulness and boldness. And yet they've already been bold. It would be pretty easy to presume. I don't know if you guys get this when you're reading the scriptures, that these, these men and women that are talked about, I mean, they are just studs. They're first century just studs. They're following Christ. They know Christ. They've seen Christ raised from the dead. They just have it. They just know it. They just get it. Just filled in them. But lest we forget, in this passage, we are literally only months like two or three months removed from all of the original apostles disavowing Christ and from none of these people following Jesus. Literally months. But the Lord has worked radically in such a short period of time. And it gives me confidence that he can work in very short periods of time in our own life. The threats and intimidation that these believers find fuel prayer for ongoing boldness rather than fear. 
I often think of, of heroes of the faith as just being amazing. Men and women that I've looked up to, men and women, we may say they're just prayer warriors. And it's just easy to assume they've just, they're born that way. They've always been that way. And it's like, I know that's not true. They were born day one knowing nothing and capable of pretty much nothing but crying and, and maybe eating. But there is growth that comes through the Spirit through prayer. It's easy to think that Peter and John, these other figures, they're going to continue to just speak boldly. But the trials they face are real. They're arrested. The devil is trying to deceive. So they pray, much as we should pray, they pray to continue to speak the word, the truth of who Christ is, with all boldness. They also pray for the miraculous signs to continue. In Acts, miracles serve the proclamation of the word. Remember the healing that took place in the beginning of chapter 3 that I preached on a few weeks ago. That passage, Peter and John interacting with one lame beggar, has set the scene for all of this to take place and for 2,000 people to come to know the Lord, for Peter and John to be arrested. And so God is using these miraculous events for his word to go forward. Should be a quote on the screen from a, from a commentator I was reading this week, John Polhill. The healing, in chapter 3, did not deliver them from danger. If anything, it provoked it. On the other hand, the healing first attracted those who listened to Peter's sermon in Solomon's colonnade and responded to the word in faith. This is what the community prayed for. More signs to undergird the word, more boldness to proclaim it. They surely knew what the result would be. More persecution. It's easy to think that if, if signs and wonders were being done around us, people would just believe. There would be no issues. There would be no conflict. But they pray for boldness. And this commentator points out that really more persecution is going to come when signs take place. God is going to work. But our relationship with Him must be cultivated. Our understanding of Him must grow. And so we want to pray for boldness to know Him more and to then proclaim what we know. And we can proclaim the simplest of gospels. Our five, six, seven, eight-year-olds who know Jesus can proclaim him. Verse 31 is a clear affirmation of what the Lord is doing. It shows that the, their prayer was in the Spirit and that it was approved by God. The place is shaken. The Spirit fills them and they continue to speak God's word boldly. The Spirit had already come upon these people. Chapter 2 in Pentecost Chapter 4, verse 8 says that Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So this filling right here is a fresh filling of the Spirit that take, has taken place after salvation. That same commentator, he talks about that uh, this is a renewed awareness of the Spirit's power and presence in the life and witness of the believer. The Spirit comes to show his power and to show his presence and to renew us. There are times and places where the Spirit just works uniquely. 
I think we have all, if we're in Christ, we've been in seasons of great growth where we're reading the word, we're soaking it in, and it is changing us. And then we've been in, in just drier seasons where, for whatever reason, the Lord may be working in a different way, maybe waiting for us to persevere in prayer and in study of the word. Now, in thinking about this passage, we know that, that Luke has surely included this prayer for us to both teach us and to empower us. There's a pattern for us to follow in our own praying. And so really my, my key principle to put forward tonight uh, from these nine verses is in our prayers, let us praise God and ask for boldness. In our prayers, let us praise God and ask for boldness. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, whatever you are walking through, no doubt you are walking through something difficult, either now, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. It's emotional, it's physical, it's spiritual, whatever it is. In our prayers, let us praise God and ask for boldness. And kind of three points of application that kind of fuel that statement. Number one, in good and hard times, pray. Pray. And even if you don't know what to pray, go to a psalm and read it. That's a lot of times how I start my day. I just go to a psalm. I think I'm in, I'll be in like Psalm 34, Psalm 35 tomorrow, somewhere around there. And I'll just read it and I'll try to let it fuel my prayers. Some mornings are better than others, but in good and hard times, pray. Second, know the one you pray to. Verse 24 makes it clear that this group of people, they know God as creator, as the sovereign Lord who is working and moving. They know him intimately. They are worshiping Christ. So know the one you pray to. And third, ask for boldness to proclaim Christ. Petition God for boldness. And not just boldness in general, but boldness to specifically proclaim Christ. And so this doesn't mean just be bold. Yes, do that. If you can just be bold tonight after, you know, tomorrow with coworkers, that is great. But we all struggle. I bet that you struggle with being bold to proclaim the name of Christ. I bet for many of us in the room, it may be hard to remember the last time we evangelized to a neighbor, to a coworker, to a friend. And so let's not feel a level of guiltiness for it tonight. Let's turn, let's repent, and let's pray for boldness. Now I know in many ways a lot of us struggle or ask questions around, you know, we need to be cordial, we need to be kind. That's kind of the name of the game for our world today. And yes, we do not want to hinder the gospel, but the gospel is offensive. The cross is offensive. It is foolish. It is a stumbling block, as Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. So be kind, yes, but most importantly, give people truth. Really, the most loving thing you can do is to tell people what is true, to give people what is true, to give them Christ. So pray for boldness. If you're unwilling to speak about Jesus, 
the one who has supposedly radically changed our lives, who has taken us out of darkness and brought us into life, who has made, taken our dead heart and made it alive, if we're unwilling to speak about Jesus, do we really believe it? Pray for the Lord to get your eyes up and to speak and to be bold. In just a moment, I'm going to read our, our Lord's Supper liturgy. We're going to have an opportunity to, to rehearse the gospel here tonight with each other. We're going to read our Lord's Supper liturgy. Then I'm going to do a uh, just kind of super brief uh, uh, prayer right after it. And then I want you to pray. I want you to pray for boldness. Many of us in the room were scared of or have fear of man. Many of us are, are lazy or lack intentionality in gospel conversations or trying to build a friendship. Many of us don't have a proper view of who God is, and that leads to apathy in our life. Many of us fail to ever pray, to ask for boldness, to ask God to work in our family, in our friends, in our coworkers, in our neighbors. And so tonight we're going to take a few minutes to pray. And I would encourage you to, to prostrate yourself before God, to put yourself in a posture acknowledging that we are weak and frail and God is glorious and sovereign. He is the one who is majestic. He is the one who has made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. I want to encourage you, get on the ground where you are. Come up here to the front. Kneel. Stand, go to the back. Walk outside. Let the Spirit move. Because sometimes a, a physical posturing of ourselves, a physical movement, is a way to kind of affirm and confirm what the Lord is doing in our lives. And I feel confident that all of us need to pray for boldness. So once you have prayed, come and get the elements, hold on to them, and then we'll take them all together. But I encourage you to, to move, to do whatever you need to do, to pray for boldness and to ask God to fuel your ministry of the gospel. Band, you guys can, can go ahead and come on up as I, I read our liturgy. To all sinners who are grieved and humbled by their sin, to all the weak who need their faith to be strengthened, to all who love the triune God and wish to love him more, Jesus Christ now invites you to his table. All who desire to receive this sacrament should examine themselves beforehand. These are holy things for holy people. All who are unwilling to repent of their sin or who have not yet come to Jesus in faith and baptism should not partake. But instead, use this time for prayer and reflection. If there are any in here who are under the discipline of the church or who are living in, a, in willful disobedience to God, let them be warned of God's judgment on hypocrisy. But let humble worshipers be assured that their sins and vices should not keep them from this table. Christ welcomes us to come and find strength and healing in him. May the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ preserve us unto eternal life. 
I'm going to pray and then you can move and you can pray and you can ask the Lord for boldness however the Lord leads and then come to the Lord's table as you're ready. Our Father and our God, we come to you tonight praising you that you have brought us out of darkness and into marvelous light. Lord, help us to taste and see that you are good. You are the one who rule and reign over all things. And yet, Lord, we know that we as a church have not been faithful to the call to be bold and to proclaim Christ and him crucified. We have not taken the opportunities that you have presented us, whether at the grocery store, with a neighbor, with a coworker, with a, a random person that we run into. Lord, fuel our desire to make you known. Lord, help us to repent where we have been unfaithful. And help us to be men and women who are eager to make Jesus known. Lord, I pray that you work tonight, that you move in our hearts and in our souls, that you would help us to repent. Lord, whatever you're doing in our hearts and in our lives, I pray that we would be open to the prompting of the Spirit and that we would respond accordingly. We love you. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that you rule and reign over all things. And we thank you that Christ has been given on our behalf and that we now have righteousness through faith in him as he has taken on our sin. We love you. Amen.